Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 56. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hi guys, it's Holly, here to tell you about a new way you have to get my downloads. As you may or may not know, I offer a free download with almost every episode. So all you have to do is text hard hat, all one word, no spaces, hard hat to 38470. That's 38470. And I'll send you this week's download. So text hard hat to 38470 and it will be on its way to you. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. And we have an awesome guest today. I'm really excited about this gentleman we have. This guy is a news anchor on the number one cable news show in the world. And when he's not interviewing presidential candidates, he's building the largest turnkey real estate investing in the country. I know you're wondering, who is this guy? And maybe some of you already know. But with that, welcome to the show, Clayton Morris. Man, thank you so much. Thank you for the kind words. You're flattering. Thank you so much. Great <laughs> well, to see you. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show. And for my listeners, I saw him speak at an event called Investor Grit, which I know some of you listeners know Cody and Tom of Investor Grit. And they had him speak at their event. So that was my first face to face seeing Clayton and I'm really excited to have him on the show. So Clayton, tell our listeners some of your backstory because it's fascinating and surprising. It was very interesting to me to learn something about the news and media world and it was definitely a big learning experience for me. It's not as maybe glamorous and as high paying as some of us may think, right? Right. I mean, I, I grew up loving the idea of broadcasting and television, so I wanted to be in TV somehow. I didn't know it as a kid and I just would stay up late and watch Letterman and Carson and would sneak downstairs when my parents thought I was asleep. But I moved to LA after college and started working as a production assistant at a local Fox affiliate. But then I lived all over the country in Montana and West Virginia and Virginia and Ohio and Florida as a news anchor or reporter in different markets. And you don't make any money. I mean, $23,000 a year in Montana. And I was literally going into debt, you know, while I was living there, like I would buy dinner on a credit card because my, I think I was making four seventy-five a month and my rent was like 500 a month. And I just moved because I just wanted the job, you know? <laughs> oh my so, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's not terribly, I mean, it, you know, it can be glamorous in some ways. And obviously when I got up to the network, eventually, you know, then, then things changed a lot. But, um, you, you know, when you see like local news reporters in Orlando or these different things, they're not like raking in the cash, you know, and, and quite honestly, they're working very, very hard. And, and I realized at the time while I was doing all of that, working hard that, you know, I would be renting from people, right? I was in these different cities and I would see these people not working so hard, right? I was paying them money to live in their old house in Montana and they lived 300 miles away. There was no property management around. It was, you know, they were, I was paying them. I was mailing them money every month and they were building passive income while I was working nonstop 
you know, in the news business. You were building debt while they were building wealth and passive exactly. income. Yeah, like, exactly. Hmm, this is an interesting equation. Right. And so I never really, I didn't understand it then. I think I got a little bit older and I moved to Florida and I was still working in the news business as I still do, but I, I would get up at two in the morning, go to this job, come home. And I bought this property next door to the condo that I lived in, this two bedroom condo. And that was really my first flip. I, uh, I don't really flip anymore, but that was what I did. I bought it off market from the family and, and I started realizing that, wow, you can do this. I was doing drywall and spackling and making this place modern, putting in new appliances, new carpeting and updating it. And then I sold it and I made a good profit and I sold it right before the crash happened. I, I think I bought it for like 120,000 and sold it for like 170 or something like that. I, I only had it for like three weeks that I did the work <laughs> on it and I lived next door to it. And the, the woman who lived there smoked for 30 years. So I had like, there was like nicotine dripping off the walls that I had to try to paint over, clean up, whatever, you know? Um, but then I sold it right before the crash happened, but that was my first real taste of like off market real estate. How can I, how can I find a really good deal? You know, and I had this realtor that like brought it to me and it wasn't really on the market. It was kind of through a family and it, you know, but I made it work and that's kind of how it all, that's how it all started for me. So that was your very first deal. That was my first deal. Yeah. And uh, to think about it, the guy that I sold it to a week after the crash happened, he called my realtor and was like, can I, can I sell it back? Like, I think, he, I don't know, something happened that like he had lost his job. I mean, it was just like a disaster. I mean, everyone was being affected by it. I'm like, I couldn't afford to buy it back. And by the way, no bank's going to want to lend right now. You know what? I'm going to buy this back for no reason. So it was a, it was a scary time. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, that is a really awesome first deal. Some of the people I talk to go down a different path where they're doing all this education and they try to flip a house and it fails miserably and they hang in and do it anyway. But you had a success story right out of the gates. You got a taste of success, right? And so you're like, oh, let's do this again. So where did you go from there? What was the next step on your path? Well, because I think I grew up with this like such negative association with money that I didn't understand how to use it properly. My associations with money were, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. We're not the Rockefellers. You're not worthy of money. So when money would come to me, I would feel unworthy of it. And so I immediately had my friend was involved in this like speculative land project in North Carolina. It was a Phil Mickelson golf course and it had, they were building a clubhouse and they were building three phases of these really nice log style homes around this golf course. And the buy-in was like 30 or 60, yeah, 60,000 down. And we were going to carry a construction loan of like 300,000 on these, on this property. And so he and I went in on it together. He pitched me on it and I said, okay, you know, probably know what you're doing and all right. And Hey, it's real estate. What can go wrong? Right. Everyone's living high on the hog. And I thought the, the real effects of the, of the crash weren't apparent yet. You know, it was still kind of in flux and it was, we didn't really understand how widespread it was. You know, we just knew that some things were shifting, but we didn't quite understand. And I was, a, I was a lay person, so I didn't understand all the data. I just understood that this guy suddenly wanted to sell the house back that he just bought from me. You know, I didn't know what else was going on, but we got involved in this thing and then the crash really happened. The builder backed out. Phil Mickelson backed out. There's no golf course. There's no clubhouse. There's all these lots that aren't being built upon. They had some construction started. They'd cleared some forestation, but the whole thing fell apart. But yet I was still on the hook for a construction loan to a bank that was now going belly up. And so 
it was just a total disaster. Went through a foreclosure with this. We had to face basically a deficiency judgment. Then we worked out a settlement agreement to pay pay it off. So the land was worth maybe three thousand. I ended up buying it for like sixty thousand. I mean, it was the worst deal in the history of deals. But oh. you know, I learned a lesson. You know, not to be speculative, and so I don't do anything speculative anymore. I buy single family homes that I buy them below market. I add value to them and I place tenants in them in markets where there's consistent jobs, steady, you know, steady income, steady growth. And that's what I do now. Very boring, but that's how I've been able to achieve financial freedom with boring. Wow. I love that. So you went from that speculative, learned the lesson that way, and then you developed a formula and a data and analysis and all of this so that it's a very, uh, what's the word? It's very planned out and methodical and logical. It's not emotional and it's not, oh, we're going to strike it rich and make millions. It's just, this is a formula we follow and it's slow and it's steady and it's a lot more secure, a lot less risk, huh? (laughs) Yeah, and this was born out of a. I think I told you this story before, but it's it's worth repeating. It was it was the story because I understood real estate a little bit, but I didn't realize the power of passive income and what mm. it could do to change your life. And I was on this a flight to New Zealand, and I was going there for five days to shoot photos with a friend of mine who lived there. He invited me over. Five days is not a lot of time to make that sixteen-hour flight or however long it is for most people, and and then come back. Like you're there. You just want to stay for a long time. So I'm on this flight with this couple next to me. And after the 16 hour flight, we had about 30 minutes left in the flight. And I was chatting with them. They were in their mid, maybe late fifties. And they said, how long are you going to be there? I said, Oh, five days. And I said, how long are you going to be there? They said two months. And I said, what do you do that you can go to New Zealand for two months? Like you have no obligations. They have family. What you Oh, oh. and he said, Oh, I'm a real estate investor. I said, ah, okay, tell me more about this real estate investing you speak of because I lost my shirt a little while ago. How do you do it? And he went on and explained that he buys, you know, he buys, he goes after, he doesn't fall in love with real estate to put to your point, Holly, like he doesn't fall in love with real estate. He falls in love with ROI. He, there are four walls and a roof. And I like to think of them as like a bag of potato chips. You can't just eat one. They're all the, you know, the same. Don't fall in love with the adorable little bungalow because you think the, the blue, you know, the green shutters are adorable. Right. Just make it, you know, go after ROI. And so I followed his formula and started buying properties in the same areas that, I, that he was buying and never looked back. That's been my formula ever since, his formula. <laughs> So tell us more uh, maybe about some other deals along your path and then, and then what your path looked like. Um, do you hold lots of homes now? Have you gone over into apartments or, or what's been your path? What do you like? Yeah, my path, honestly, I, because I grew up in a single family home. I understand the mental value in that property being a person's property where you pull in at night after a long day at work, you've got a driveway you've got your own backyard. You don't hear people banging around upstairs with pots and pans at four in the morning, having a fight in an apartment. You, this is your property for all intents and purposes as a renter. And you can stay as long as you want, you know, and I've got tenants that stay five years and longer. And I encourage that. I want them to make it their own. I want them to feel comfortable in this property. I want to be a nice landlord with my property management team. If they want to trim some bushes back on the front of the porch or they want to replace them with some bushes that make sense for the dog that they have or their children. We had one property in, in where I, one of my first properties that I bought 
it was, I think I bought it for like 26,000. Um, I put 17,000 into it. So I probably paid a little bit more cause I, it was like a short sale. So I know I paid a little bit more than I would have paid now. I probably over upgraded, did a little bit more bells and whistles than I normally would now. Um, things that I didn't have to do. Like I put appliances in this property. My tenants pay for all their appliances. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, wow. You know, there's like little things like that. Right. Um, and I, the, the tenants came to me about a year into living there and they asked the property management company, would it be okay if we trimmed these bushes off, off the front porch, take them out because they're all spiky and they weren't very friendly to their, their two year old. Yeah. And they wanted to replace them with some like box hedges. And the property management company said, you're under an ob obligation to do this. In fact, we, we would discourage you from allowing this. And my wife and I said, discourage, no, let's do it. Let's let make them feel like it's more of their house than it already is. Let them mm -hmm. do what they want. And they put in some box hedges and now their little girl doesn't get like cut up with thorns and spikes from falling into these little bushes. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was the, that was the thought process behind that was to allow them to treat this property like, like it was their own home. So that's been my formula, single family homes. I have a few, you know, multifamilies, not very many, and it's very easy for people when they start on this journey, their second property, they've got their third property. It's all the same, right? They got three single family homes and then they start being allured by shiny object syndrome from other people. Mm -hmm. Oh, have you heard that mobile home investing is great? Have you heard that owning hundred unit commercial properties is great? Have you heard that self storage is fantastic? <laughs> and invariably it always happens. It happens after the second or third deal. They're on the right path, right? They've made a decision. They've committed to a path. After the third deal, they start getting shiny object syndrome and they start seeing, thinking that the you know, pasture is greener, that there's greener grass somewhere. So I never did that. I, I tried to, you know, I've learned from my mistakes. Focus, huh? Well, right. and, and you, did, um, you, you did get really burned on that land deal. So that was probably a good way to keep you on your path. And you know what? All of those real estate investment opportunities are good. It's not like self-storage is bad or mobile homes are bad, but it can be challenging if you're trying to do everything because there's a learning curve with everything. Wouldn't you agree? For sure. And that's the thing. You, how many, I like to think of it this way. If you are standing on a compass, okay, and you're trying to go north, is it helpful for you to keep taking a step south or <laughs> to take a step east or west? No, you're never going to get north. But if you keep taking consistent steps north, you're going to make a few little aberrations along the way. But as long as you're still going north, you're still going towards that goal. Not if you're going south. So most people will start in real estate and they get analysis paralysis. They'll email into our office at Morris Invest. They'll say, you know, I've been researching for a year. I've been looking at stuff for a year and I, I, I don't know what to do. And the first thing I say to them is, what lifestyle do you want? Do you want to create another job for yourself? great. Then maybe flipping houses is for you. Do you want to go out there every weekend and flip houses and spend higher contractors really be in their hanging drywall? Great. If you want to create passive income and spend more time with your kids and less time working, then maybe this is the path for you. Buy and hold real estate. You know, you need to be, you need to really start with the end in mind first. Otherwise you're going to step in five different directions before you get on that path. I agree completely. I love flipping fr from the perspective and wholesaling for people that start 
without the ability to acquire buy and hold. Sure, you can always get buy and holds with none of your own money, but it's not easy. So, you know, that, and that's one of the reasons that I, I think Investor Grit provides a service is they are a big wholesaling company. I teach flipping. You know, those are different ways to get to, in my opinion, the end goal, because those are jobs. I'm not, I won't kid you. Flipping houses is a job. I, you know, I do it, but it is, it requires a lot more time and energy than the buy and hold plan. Well, and wholesaling is the foundation of everything that I do. I mean, the reason I was speaking at Tom's event is because Tom was my mentor and because I was able to get a huge influx of cash from wholesaling. And because of that, I was able to then buy my first rental properties. So because I had gone through a deficiency judgment, because I didn't have any ability to buy buy houses with credit, I, I, no bank would work with me because of this golf course debacle that I went through. And so I had to be creative and being creative taught me I had to work hard and I went out there every day. I was hanging stickers on people's doors, you know, looking for motivated sellers. I mean, I worked it, you know, bandit signs. I was out there making phone calls nonstop until I found my first few deals were just off of Craigslist. My, uh, my first three deals were on Craigslist. And so that big influx of cash from, from wholesaling enabled me to start the snowball effect of buying buy and hold real estate. But you need to, you need to know where you want to go and how, what's the train that's good. What's the vehicle that's going to get me there. Don't take five different cars. Right. Okay. Well, this is interesting. I didn't know um, that you were such a um, passionate, avid and successful wholesaler. That's cool. So you did wholesaling and you've done some flipping and that was great because it gave you some cash to become a buy and hold investor. And I think it was also a great experience. I think when we're looking at anything, whether it's real estate investing, finding a spouse, finding whatever, you've got to look around and try different things out. Hmm, maybe the spouse thing isn't a good uh, example, but <laughs> you, when you're dating someone, a lot of it is learning what you don't want. When you're flipping houses, if that's not for you, like, okay, I tried that. That is not what I want to do forever. But hey, maybe it's good for a year or two or five or whatever. Right. And you found buy and hold. You loved it. You loved what it gave you for the time, energy, and money you put in. And that was a great fit. Well, tell us a little bit more then about how you, I mean, was that always your goal to get to the buy and hold thing? And the yes. other things were stepping stones to get your wealth up to a certain amount where you can invest in that then. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned sort of at Investigate when we were there, I mean, Tom was my, I was his first student. And... I told him one of the first times on the phone, he said to me, you know, he made assumptions about money and, you know, and finances because here I am a network news anchor. And yet I still, at the end of the month, didn't have enough money at the end of the month. I was like, what am, what's going on here? What am I doing wrong? You know, I have these two rental properties I saved up for that I had cash in the bank to buy, but I'm not going to, I'm stuck now. What am I going to do? And so he, he made these assumptions about, you know, being in news. He's like, oh, you're probably wealthy. Why do you want to be in, in wholesaling? You know, this is for like the ground up. This is how you build wealth and start, you know, this is, or this is how you start. This is the ground level, right? I said, great. Right. I'm an empty cup. I'm at the ground level. I'm going to learn the foundation of real estate investing. And that's when I started wholesaling and I started to just making phone calls on Craigslist, got my first three deals, you know, and then it was like first deal was like 2,300 bucks in assignment fee. Next deal, I think it was 15,000. My third deal was $43,000. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. And so it just, it went from there and I'm in New Jersey where, you know, deals were big and I quickly became the largest wholesaler in Northern New Jersey because I just, I had more determination than anyone else. I was out there every day, hitting the bricks, making it happen um, on the street, making phone calls. And I started building a system, you know, the system is in the follow-up, right? So I was building my database of people after I would send out direct mail to houses and I was building up this database where maybe they didn't want my offer today, but two months from now, they were going to email me back said, Hey, you mailed me a purchase agreement for this house. You know what? I'm done with it. Is this, is that, is that offer still good? Because I did that follow up, because I had those things in place, I was able to get so many more deals than if I had just been flying by the seat of my pants and not, you know, using like a yellow legal pad and just like scrolling down some numbers and hoping, you know, and losing track of it. No, I built that system that Tom taught me and went through that whole process. And my whole goal when I first started talking to him was I want to do this in order to build passive income and real net worth and wealth and buy and hold real estate. So that's why I started doing wholesaling. Awesome. So, okay. So wholesaling, you were a smashing success at, uh, how did you transition and what did you, did you, as soon as you got, I mean, 43 grand, that's more than you made at the beginning right. of your career, right? In a whole year. And you made that in one deal where you're like, yes, I'm a rock crazy. star. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I couldn't awesome. believe it. I still pinching myself from it. And you know, it was the defining moment for me because it taught me that I wasn't, you know, losing my job, like all those other things. Like I, I didn't have to be so fearful of money that I could do this. I could actually stick to this path and do this, not step in five different directions, you know, try to come up with an iPhone app or making a website that sells, you know, trinkets and gadgets and all these random things that we do and try, right? No, mm -hmm. stick with this because if you do it and you put your hard work into it, it pays dividends. And so I started doing that, but then I immediately, I started putting money back into the, into wholesaling for marketing. But then I started looking at my acquisition strategy for more buy and hold properties. And then it just grew from there. And I started using wholesaling strategies with my team as I started building a team, I started buying more properties. I started building a team, buying more properties. And it just was like a, you know, a snowball effect contractor on staff, my acquisitions manager on staff, my property management team that we worked with. And then it just kind of grew, grew out of that sort of organically. Awesome. So you developed quite a good sized company, big team. That's impressive. Where are you at today? Like, I don't know if you want to fast forward or if you want to keep along the path, but how, where are you at today? How many properties do you hold and how much of your time does it take? I mean, do you have a team doing everything or do you still have your hand in it? What does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, my team does a lot of it. I, I mean, I still pick the properties that I'm going to keep. People ask me all the time, like, at, you know, at our, my company, Morris Invest, they're like, well, do you like cherry pick properties that you're going to keep? I'm like, no, honestly, I own the same properties on the same streets as my clients. Uh -huh. you know, literally next door. So, and it really is just a matter of, Hey honey, um, it's time for us to grab another house. Okay. What do we have available? And we just grab one. There's no like, Hey, just for Clayton, he's going to cherry pick the, you know, because <laughs> they're all, to me, they're all the same. They're all, we're in the same town, same zip code, same houses. Like there's nothing that's more adorable than the next one. So I just try to grab, I grab them as I have capital available. So yeah, we've got dozens now. I mean, we're over, I think we, we're over either near 50 or over 50 now for buy and hold properties. Um, in our portfolio, we want to get up to our goal is 300. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's my, our goal. And they're all mostly all single family homes. I've got a few duplexes in the mix, but I love single families because you know, you, it's almost, it has a like built in diversification 
you know, people be like, I want to be diversified with different markets. And literally by owning single family homes, you're diversifying from the next door because whatever happens to that person might be the postal employee that lives there as a renter. The tenant who's next door might be the nurse at the local hospital. Mm -hmm. You're not affected by having one giant 100 person apartment complex near, you know, near the Walmart factory or, you know, right. whatever in Or in near Tennessee. the oil field or exactly. near the naval base. Exactly. It's either like awesome and close through the up roof and, and then, every, then it, the lights are out and it's a ghost town. So, so people say, you know, diversify. I'm like, oh, I don't care much about it. If you're in single family homes, unless you're at 500 single family homes in one town, then talk to me. <laughs> but right. you know, it's, I find it cute and adorable. We've got clients. They're like, you know, I own two now with you guys in this city. <laughs> And I think I want to be diversified. I'm like, okay, that's adorable, but let's not get crazy here. You know, it's, 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 I don't think you really have to worry about the market tanking there that it's going to really, really affect you in that way. But Right. Well, and then that leads to my next question of what class or quality of rental properties of homes do you go for? I mean, I have one friend that categorizes them as it's Walmart or Target or Nordstrom. That's their way, you know, of saying maybe A, B, or C. But what, what category do you go for? And do you use the letter grades A, B, and C, or what do you do? Yeah, I mean, they are arbitrary, and it's all subjective. And uh, when people say, is that a D class? I say, or like, you know, people ask, like, I try to avoid D class. I'm like, first of all, what does a D class even mean? I, w- I don't even know what, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know. Maybe it's like a bombed out section of the city where there's like one house and like a vacant commercial space that used to be like a beauty parlor like years ago and there's no one there, not even a dog. Maybe that's a D class. I, I'm not anywhere near that stuff. So C class is what we are in, C class and B minus. That's our, but most our bread and butter is where you're going to get the most value is in C-class neighborhoods. So I'll give you a perfect example. And, you know, my YouTube channel, we've got property walkthroughs of ones that we've done at Morris Invest where we've got, you know, it's, and I, sh- I show people like in the afternoon, like everyone's at work. Look, <laughs> like everyone's at work. And, you know, they take care of the yards. They're single family homes. They're small, 900,000 square feet. Those are my bread and butter. Uh, they're hardworking blue collar folks. They work at the local Raytheon factory. They work at the local hospital as a nurse. We just rented to a high school principal. And he's a high wow. school principal. You know, like that's a typical tenant, a postal employee. We just rented to a postal employee. She's 17 years with the U.S. Postal Service. She's got two kids. She's a single mom. That's a typical tenant in our property. So when I think there's, there's and it kind of bothers me actually, there's kind of coastal bias coastal elitism when it comes to this stuff and it really kind of gets under my skin and i'm from the east coast so i'm aware of it but until you've really walked these neighborhoods or until you understand it we have this california investors san francisco they sort of assume that this must be the total ghetto it must be the worst place in the world because they're used to you know eating their sushi for lunch and they're making you know they live in a six hundred thousand dollar place down by the marina you know, or $800,000 place in, in San Francisco. And so what can you possibly get for 50,000 or 45,000? Well, guess what? That's where most of America lives. You can actually fly, go to Nebraska, go to, you know, go to Oklahoma, go to, you're, you're going to find houses in that range. It's just, if you know what you're doing, you know, so this like coastal elitism kind of bothers me. Well, I find that fascinating. That was going to be my next question is what is the price of the homes? And how much do you spend on a make ready or fixing them if you buy them and they need work? 
and what is the rental income? So kind of run us through like, what are the numbers that you guys see in your area? Oh, and I don't think we've even talked about what state you're on, let alone what city. So where are you doing this? So, yeah, my team is in Indiana. My team is in uh, Florida and my team is in Michigan and my team is in parts of Ohio as well. So, you know, we, people say, well, are you in Cincinnati or are you here? Are you there? Are you going to come to come to St. Louis or, you know, it's like you, you can go to all those places. It takes a hell of a long time to build the team that I've got, right? I've got, Dave and my, my team in Florida, I mean, he's the most loyal guy in the world and are the team that we've built. Like I've working with them for years, right? My team's at Indiana, my contractors. And so then my property management team, my acquisitions team, like they're on staff and we've been working together so long. You can't just replicate that overnight. You've got to build those relationships and make sure that you're not overpaying for labor. And here's a key, right? So if you're working with contractors who are on staff, like they're on our staff, we're not going to overpay for the labor because they don't, it's not like a fly by night hedge fund that comes in and they're going to take advantage of you and be like, I'm going to charge them three times as much because this guy's probably going to be out of here. I'm never going to know where my next paycheck comes from right. but because we're consistently doing properties. They know that they're not going to be out of work. They're going to consistently work for us and therefore we don't get gouged, you know? So that's really important. So th- those are the areas we are. Um, typical deal. Looks like we might acquire property. I'm just going to throw out round numbers. Maybe we buy it for 20. We put 20 into it. So 40 all in. Um, we're going to upgrade it so that it's not, we're not putting in granite countertops and ridiculous stuff. We're not over upgrading for the neighborhood, but we're going to make it a solid bulletproof house where you're not going to have to worry about repairs for 15 years, 10 to 15 years is our goal. So what does that mean? That means we put in new mechanicals, we put in a new furnace, I put a new water heater in all of our properties. If the roof has less than 10 years of life on it, I put on a new roof. Um, we update the windows to new vinyl windows. If the windows are in great shape and they work great, you know, it's a window by window basis, right? Cause mm-hmm. you might have nine of the windows are terrible and five are great because they were updated five years ago. Then you kind of, it's all like a puzzle piece. You got to look at them. Um, So we'll try to update those. We update the electric, rip out all the old electric, put in new electric, uh, update all the plumbing, rip out all the old plumbing, put in PEX plumbing throughout the property. Um, And so our philosophy is if you take care of those main systems, those main things, the roof, windows, mechanicals, electric, plumbing, and there's not a lot of other moving parts. There's not garage door openers in our C-class neighborhoods. There's not garbage disposals. There's not five furnaces powering a 5,000 square foot house. You know, there's not a lot of moving parts and therefore you don't have to worry about repairs for 15 years. So in, you know, 10, 15 years, you got to replace a water heater for 700 bucks. Okay. You know, there's not a lot of moving parts and we try to keep it, uh, keep it very, very basic, uh, but a great place to live. Is there, do you put dishwashers in these places? Nope. Tenants can put them in if they want. We work with a couple of local companies that will do packages of appliances. So then for like, I don't know, 1500 bucks, 1200 bucks, they'll get a refrigerator. They'll get a dishwasher if they want it. They'll get a stove, all of those things. And they own them. Now they're incentivized. Now they want to live there for a while. They want to move this stuff on a regular basis. Now they tend to stay for a few years, you know, and when they move Mm -hmm. out, they take that stuff with them. You know, we used to do that where we used to provide stoves and stuff, but then we're, we had a guy on our staff. We, we, all he did was run around town chasing, um, 
changing heating elements on stoves. You know? Oh, wow. So, no. Then they take care of them. If they own them, hey, then it's yours, you know? That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, here, I'm one of those California investors that mm-hmm. is shocked um, by lots of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my rental properties, I mean, it is standard practice. I would say mine are... Um, probably B class, I'm guessing, based on how you're talking. Because mine have dishwashers, mine have garbage disposals. But I know there are, I've got a friend that he has places where they don't do that. It's much further inland, you know, from the coast. Right. But it's just, I think that's a really important lesson for investors to learn and know your area. Talk to someone. I mean, Clayton would be a great resource if you want to do buy and hold. And what a fantastic return. You still haven't told me the monthly rent numbers, oh. but to buy a house like all in for like 50 grand. I mean, that's yeah, got to I mean, be so, good. So all of our ROI, I always try to hit a net ROI between 10 and 12% net and gross ends up being over 20% um, for the year. And because we're rehabbing the house, you're not going to have repairs. So when you figure that net, you're figuring 40% for vacancy repairs expenses. Well, there's no repairs because we just rehab the house. So there's nothing that's going to break in that first year, which we would, but my company would fix it anyway, you know, in the first year where we'll take care of it. If there's some drain that gets clogged, you know, we'd take care of it. Um, and by the way, all those me- mechanicals have manufacturer's warranties on them. So for 10 year manufacturer's warranty. So if furnace breaks six years from now, boom, new furnace free you know, um, something to remember. Um, so rent usually between 700 and 900 a month is usually nice. kind of a good rule of thumb. Uh, depends on the city. Um, and taxes usually a few hundred bucks a year, 300, 400 bucks a year, depending on the, the area. Um, closing costs, you know, three, 400 bucks. So very minimal expenses when you look at when you look at what we do, I mean, I, we just bought a house in New Jersey, right? Where we live 5,000 square foot home closing costs were probably, I don't know, $12,000, you know, ridiculous, right? People have that perception of closing costs or taxes. We, uh, the house we just moved from in New Jersey, $18,000 a year in property taxes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So is it it a percent of value? I mean, that's what we have in California. We're pretty much 1%. Some areas are 2%. I think it's about 4% of value in New Jersey. New Jersey's second highest in the country behind Connecticut for property taxes. So, you know, we have, that's the thing. The best properties are not necessarily in your backyard unless you happen to live. That's one of the things I try to teach on our channel and my, in my podcast is you know the best rental properties are not going to be in your backyard unless you happen to live in one of these towns. I'm telling you, it's very, very difficult to find that ROI. So what I learned about on that New Zealand flight was go after the ROI, you know, and come outside of your comfort zone. You're, there's no way you're buying rental properties in New Jersey. I'll tell you that. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. Well, we've got to keep pushing through, but I'm going to have to have you back another time because I know you have so much to teach and share about. I'm sure you know a lot about tenants and screening and how to find a good property manager and all that, but it's so eye-opening that we, all of us people in the world come in with our perspective. We think what we grew up with as kids or in a family is normal for everybody. We think as investors, oh, and Orange County, California, where I live, that if you make 2000 per month rent on a home, you pay $600,000 for it. That's normal. And that's what a rental should be. Like it would blow so many people's minds. I know to hear these numbers you talked about that run around here, like they, 
I mean, I'm a realtor. I have people say, yeah, I think I want to, you know, buy a rental for 800 grand. <laughs> and you'd be like, right. I could get you 20, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's so important, listeners. Like, definitely don't think the whole world is the same as what you have an experience in your own little bubble, right? There's exactly. so much more out there and don't assume I'd be the one in your neighborhood putting granite countertops and dishwashers. Cause I think that's what is needed. You know, I'd be messing right. up if I came to your neighborhood, I'd have no clue. So get an expert. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, I got to have, I mean, this was like the most exciting thing that I wanted you to talk about finding your freedom number and talking about your story a little bit about what your freedom number was and what you did to get there. And we have a free download today of how um, the listeners can find their freedom number and achieve financial freedom, which is what most of our goal is. Our goal isn't, most of us don't have the goal to work 16 hours a day and just grow and grow and grow wealth forever or to grow debt forever, which some people do because they don't know how to control their spending. But talk to us about that, the freedom number. Right. I mean, it really was born out of me. I th- you know, I told this story at Tom's event, but being like in tears in my home office, you know, we had these two properties, but I still like at the end of the month, we didn't have enough to pay our mortgage. And I was running through my closet, like looking for things I could sell on Craigslist. Oh <laughs> you know, my like gosh. Jeans and clothes. And here I was a network news anchor. And I'm like, what is going, what have we done wrong? How have we not built wealth? What is, I don't get it. And my wife's like, well, look, this is where we're spending money. This is not like, a, you know, it's not like something hidden. So that's where the freedom number came from. It was, and I jumped up and I said, wait a second, these two properties that I bought two years ago or a year, you know, two years ago at this point, consistently bring us like $1,700 a month in cash flow. Wow. What if I, what if I could, we could add up all of our expenses. I said, honey, what are our monthly expenses? She said, I don't know. I said, we need to get honest with our expenses. We need to start, we need to sit down. We need and that's where the freedom number cheat sheet comes in. So people can download it. If you're driving right now or you're listening to this, just don't worry about it. You know, you have the link. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's very simple to get. Um, Anyway, you download it and it looks, it forces you to get honest with your monthly expenses. It, you take the average of six months of your monthly expenses, add them up, and then go through this process and figure out what would be that number that would, you know, that would cause you to be financially free. You know, most people say, I want to be a millionaire, but it's such an arbitrary BS number. I want to be a millionaire. Why? Actually, what would it mean for you if your monthly expenses are $5,000 a month to have that covered by passive income? So you have, and then we reverse engineer it. We figure out how many rental properties would it take for you to achieve financial freedom? And that's what the Morris, you know, that's what the, uh, the, the, the financial freedom number cheat sheet is all about. So that's where that came from. And I said to my wife, okay, if that's our number, this is how many properties we need to get to. And with laser focus, I worked my butt off wholesaling, making the money, get the cash, use money for my 401k as a loan to myself, bought sort of buying rental properties and just started adding them to our net worth sheet. Boom, 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 boom. $700 a month in cash flow. Add that, you know, add another one. $700 now, $1,400 a month in cash flow. $2,100. And just keeps building up and building up. And before you know it, if you only needed $5,000 a month to be financially free, you're there with like nine houses. I mean, it's a game changer and it can really change the course of people's lives. And that's where I'm so passionate about talking about that. I love it. So I know it's safe to assume that you hit your financial freedom number since you're talking about 50 houses. Um, How long did it take you from that 
epiphany to get like did it happen fast or was it slow and you didn't care you were determined like i'm gonna make this happen i see the light at the end of the tunnel i can get there now i know what i'm gonna do right yeah i mean i got creative and i just grabbed the bull by the horns didn't get distracted with shiny objects and just focused on making this happen and i borrowed, took money out of my 401k, not withdrew money, two different things, but took a mm-hmm. loan to myself from my 401k, which you can do, everyone can do. And I, you know, used 50,000, bought a property, paid it back, bought another one, kept, you know, using that as a repository, using the cash that I had on hand, using some money I had in a self-directed IRA or in an IRA that I rolled over to a self-directed IRA, um, wholesaling. So started building up those cash, you know, the cash from that. Then I started buying properties and then cashing out and refinancing them, pulling the equity back out, taking the equity out of my primary house in order to buy real estate. And before I knew it in the snowball effect starts happening and you, you just, you don't, it's amazing what can happen once you put your focus on something. I love it. That is so inspirational. I mean, what you just had a clear path and you went for it. Fantastic. Well, I think that is amazing. And it's so important to have a goal to focus on because you're right. So many people say, I want to be a millionaire, but pick a number, pick your first goal. I remember many years ago in Weight Watchers. Yes, I did Weight Watchers after I had my baby who's now 17. Yeah, a few years ago. When I went there, they had the what I thought was a brilliant goal. They said, your goal is to lose 10% of your body weight. I, I, thankfully, I only that's probably the total I had to lose. I don't know, right. 17 pounds or whatever it was way back then. But so many of us think it's a huge number. Oh, we have to do all this work. You know, make it a goal to do one or two wholesales. Get there and then you keep on going. Don't make it impossible because then you don't start. What I think, was it Tony Robbins or someone says, most people underestimate what they can, they overestimate what they can do in a day or a week and they underestimate what they can do in a year. We're really bad at judging what we can do. Right. But yeah. Anyway. Great. Okay. Well, I am definitely going to have to have you back on because you have so much great information. We'll have to do a whole other episode on the whole rental thing because that is where you've just exploded this. It's great. Well, what advice would you have, you know, for people? I mean, you've been giving advice the whole way, which is great, but especially for somebody that's maybe kind of new and starting out and they are probably looking at shiny object syndrome. And I'll tell you, I have a friend who just joined Investor Grit and she's like all excited about the whole thing. And she goes, but last week I heard something about vacation rentals. So now I think I want to start doing that path. And she would already sent out like her first direct mail, like, oh my God, like, no, bring it no. back in girl focus on one thing because you can't do everything and do it well right but what's what's your advice for our listeners well for newbies i mean really is pick one course of action and stay laser focused on it and with like pig-headed determination uh, you know i came up with this like that compass analogy literally the other day and it now it stands out to me as like one of the better things that i've come up with recently because i think about just like standing on top of a compass and you want to go one direction you want to go east why are you taking a step west why are you taking a step south? Because somebody sends you an email that says, you know, investors, best way to make money with this, or you see an ad for something. Or the, if you know that other people are successful because they've done it this way, like that guy on my New Zealand flight, uh, I was, I'm not terribly smart. I followed his path. I literally wrote down exactly his formula, what he was doing, and I replicated it, and I hit financial freedom. 
So if other people are doing it and you're seeing them being successful and you know you want to do it, well, then just do it. I mean, it's like Dr. Wayne Dyer would say, if you want to lose weight, just don't put the food in your mouth. <laughs> I mean, just don't put the additional food in your mouth. And I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. There's not, we, we have to overcomplicate everything. Yeah. Keep it simple. I'm even wearing my life is good. Keep it simple shirt today. Yes. I because love it. it. Why do we have to overcomplicate it? The, the straight line gets you there the fastest. Love that. Love that. So tell us now um, what you're doing. What is Morris Invest? And is there opportunity for people to come learn about working with you or buying homes from you? Or what, what's the service that you guys offer? Yeah, just come to our website. Just my last name, M-O-R-R-I-S, just morrisinvest.com. And we have got tons of resources there. You can download the cheat sheet I talked about um, as well. But you know, book a call with our team. If you're ready to buy your first rental property, that's what we do all day long. We we find them, we renovate them. You get a property that's under market value with a high ROI and we take care of everything. So we place the tenant in the property and you just get cash flow. So if you're busy, you know, you're a busy doctor and you have no time, you're in brain surgery all day and you want to buy 10 properties, that's what we do all day long. Um, I say that because we just, we have a brain surgeon who just bought 10 properties the other day. So, I love that's, what, it. so that's true. That's, that's what we do. So that's, that's what my company's all about. I, we've kept the same numbers in place since I started the company and um, it's been amazing. I love it. I love, and I love the analogy too, all these analogies and quotes. When you're on a plane and they tell you, if we lose cabin pressure, put your oxygen mask on before you do it for your kid or whatever. You figured out the formula. You figured out the system. You got your oxygen mask on. And you're like, okay, guys, I can help everyone else now. I've, I've got the system. Exactly. I've been there. I've done that. And it's great. If you don't want to do this full time, do what you do best and hire the rest. That means be your brain surgeon self and hire Morris Invest to find you those homes and take care of them because does a brain surgeon want to fly out to these neighborhoods and and um, start looking under the sink at a leaky faucet whatever no it's just not it's not smart so be smart yeah so check out Clayton's website also for the free download achieving your financial freedom number we'll have that on our podcast website which is hardhatholly.com forward slash 56. This is episode 56. And we'll have a way for you to get that there. We'll have links to how to reach Clayton and his website and how you can email him. Clayton, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you sharing everything. Thank you for having me. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much, Holly. All right. So guys, get out there and take some action and get there going towards your goals. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com, on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.